It's that time of year, folks. It's the 4th of July. Independence Day, as some would call it. Welcome back to the swamp, my friends. It's good to see you made it back for another episode. Today I'm going to be sharing some creepy and allegedly true horror stories from the 4th of July. As always, if you have a story that you would like to share in a future video, be sure to submit it at swampdweller.net or the email you can find in the description down below. I'm always looking for new stories to share. Now, sit back, relax, and get ready for some creepy and allegedly true 4th of July horror stories. This story stretches over a few days, so bear with me, my friends. I work at a barbecue restaurant that is considered convenience food. Everything is homemade, and we get fresh ingredients every day, but we work on the same timetable as a fast food place. So you walk up, place your order at one of our registers, pay, and then wait for about five minutes and your food should be ready. Given this, your face-to-face -face interaction with customers doesn't need to be super long. Keep this in mind whilst reading. I'm a female in my early 20s and pretty decent looking, so I'm accustomed to customers making weird comments or old pervy men trying their occasional attempts at flirting. But only one customer has ever raised multiple red flags and set off all the alarms in my body, telling me to run. The first time Jared came in, it was a few days before July 4th. One of my coworkers happened to be with me at the register. After placing and paying for his order, Jared talked to us about the holiday and how he's super excited, just a rather normal conversation. Then he turns his attention only to me and tells me that I look like a Barbie. Not an uncommon comparison as I have blue eyes and at the time long blonde hair. But his compliments didn't stop there. He continuously repeated my likeness to the doll adding in, beautiful and stunning, among other choice descriptors. His name was called for his food, so I thought the conversation had ended there. But was I wrong? Oh, dreadfully wrong. I was running around doing my side work when Jared came up to me at the counter and said he had something to show me. I looked around to my co-workers for help. They had taken note of how strange his comments were towards me, but none of them had noticed he had come back up. I put on my best customer service smile and followed him to his table. As mentioned, I work at a barbecue restaurant, so there's barbecue sauce on all the tables. When I got the Jared's table, he was pointing at a spot on his plate where a fly was squirming in the sauce. My first thought was the fly must have landed in the sauce he was using. I was about to apologize and get him a new plate when he said, he landed there a few times before I finally got him. As he said this, he poured more sauce on the fly laughing and smiling as he did so. Absolutely mortified, but also trying not to show how freaked out I was, I said, Oh, that sucks. You're just torturing him now. Why don't you let him go? Jared says something along the lines of, No, he's having a great time, can't you tell? Look at him swimming around, while still pouring sauce on the poor fly. I know it was only a fly, but I couldn't look at it struggle anymore and to be frank, he made me extremely uncomfortable. Trying to be as polite as possible, I told him I had to get back to work. I told my manager Dana, 
and a few other co-workers what he had done, and we all agreed it was fairly disturbing and definitely weird. He didn't come up to the counter again until he was about to leave. He stared at me as he walked up, waved, and said, Goodbye, Barbie. I'll see you soon. I hoped he wouldn't. A day or so goes by and Jared came in again. I was at the same register talking with one of my co-workers. He comes up to order and starts discussing the 4th of July again, as it was the next day. We told him the restaurant is actually going to close on July 4th, so we were happy to have the day off. Again, normal conversation until he reaches over the register, grabs both of our hands while speaking to us, saying it was amazing and we deserved a day off. At this point, he still hadn't even ordered his food, but was still holding our hands. So I changed the subject by asking what he would like to order. He started ordering and had let go of my coworker's hand, but still held on to mine. I gently tugged my hand away saying something like, oh, kinda need that to type in your order. He looked incredibly mad when I did this, but quickly covered it with a short laugh. Thankfully, he got his food to go, so there wouldn't be another fly drowning scenario I'd have to witness. After he paid, he left my register to go wait for his food, ending our interaction. A few minutes later, he comes back up to me, cutting off customers in line, and says, Hey, did I ever show you a picture of my girlfriend? I know my mind thought the worst case scenario, but as he pulled out his phone, I was convinced he was going to pull up a picture of me. He didn't, thank God. It was just a Facebook picture of a very busty woman in a very tiny American flag bikini. The entire time, he was just staring at me, smiling, almost gauging my reaction. I just kind of laughed it off and responded, Oh, that's cool. He puts his phone away, never breaking eye contact with me, and says, Yeah, she's hot, but nowhere near as hot and as beautiful as you are. I gave him a very quiet, Oh, um, thanks, and a nod. Fortunately, he left the restaurant a couple of minutes later, but only after he stared at me while walking away. Yes, the picture you have in your head is correct. This man walked sideways and backwards as he walked to the doors and never took his eyes off me. Once he got to the doors, he made it a point to stand and wave until I looked at him and waved back. Dana came up to me after he left saying if he comes in again, she and I will have a code word and I'll go hide in the back until he leaves. She did not like the way he talked to or about me. I was thankful she shared the same feelings as I felt. I couldn't help but feel that maybe I was being dramatic or my uneasiness wasn't warranted. The third and last time Jared came in, I was on my phone with a customer who was placing a large to-go order. The phones were directly behind the registers so there was no avoiding him. I was grateful I wouldn't have to take his order this time, but I also couldn't run and hide. It was bittersweet. It was the day after 4th of July. I avoided eye contact with him as best as I could because I didn't want to talk with him when the phone call ended. It was working until he reached over the register he was at. My coworker Sarah was highly confused, waving his hand around trying to grab my attention. I reluctantly waved back and continued to take the phone order. I could hear Sarah asking him questions to get his order correct, but he was completely ignoring her. He was apparently trying to talk to her about me. Isn't she a perfect Barbie? What a beautiful Barbie. A busy Barbie girl, isn't she? She's a beautiful girl. This continued, even after the phone call ended. But instead of talking to Sarah about me, he thought it was best to talk to me about my appearance. At this point, 
customers are starting to take notice at what was going on, and poor Sarah was stuck in the middle of not knowing what to do. I did my best to ignore his words and just nod in hopes he would get the message that I didn't care, as I was still just trying to do some paperwork for my to-go order. He was incessant and still had not placed his order yet, so he had no reason to walk away from the register. To my relief, I heard my name being called from the office. I looked at him and said, ah, the boss is calling me. And Jared says, wow, you really are a busy, hardworking girl. Don't worry, Barbie, go do your job. I left, feeling his eyes on me as I walked until I disappeared into the office. My general manager, Ron, told me Dana said to call me in because I needed rescuing. I was and still am very grateful for Dana. I briefly explained what was going on and who the guy was, and Ron looks at me and asks if I wanted Jared kicked out. I told him no, but I wanted to hide until he was gone. Ron told me that was fine and to stay in the office until he came to get me. He came back a few minutes later and said Jared was staring at the wall where the office was when he came out to see what Jared looked like. Ron packed up Jared's food and said he barely made eye contact. He continuously glanced in the direction of the office and was visibly angry the entire time. Ron said if he ever came in again to just abandon ship, go to the back, and stay there until someone told me the coast was clear. I never saw Jared again. This was almost a year ago, and my stomach still drops whenever I see a customer that slightly resembles him. On July 4th, 2018, my house was broken into. My birth month turned out to be the worst of 2018. July is, for many reasons, unforgettable. This story is from the point of view of my 19-year-old sister. This was pretty early in the morning. My sister woke up to our German shepherd, who had jumped into her room. Due to a baby gate being in the way, he made enough noise to wake her up. She then told him and shouted at him to leave. He wasn't allowed in her room. After a few moments, a tall, blonde man peeked his head in. Our home is a three-bedroom trailer, her room being at the front, closer to the driveway, and two on the other side of the house. Her room is an absolute mess, and there is a bookshelf blocking part of the doorway. Let's call this man B. The man started talking to her, saying something along the lines of, Uh, oh hey, I was just looking for a random person's name here. I thought they were here. My sister, being as she just woke up, wasn't on edge. There is no one by that name here, she said in a calm tone. B then started making small talk, asking her age if she had a boyfriend, etc. After answering a few questions, she saw B light a cigarette. Hey, you can't smoke in here, my sister said still calm but kind of alert now. Oh, sorry, I didn't know, B replied. He then put it out in the wall. After some time, he pulled his phone out and acted like he had someone picking him up. He then tried to talk my sister into waiting outside with him. She told him that she would and she just had to change. B nodded, then went and unlocked the front door. My sister got up and locked the front door. She then called my dad, an ex-cop that works just up the road. After he got home, she went to look around and see how he got in. In her oldest sister's room, on the complete opposite side of the house, she saw he had pushed a window, air conditioner out, and onto the bed, which was level with the window. My sister has her cats in that room, which the man didn't seem to care about, and just walked out of that room and closed the door. He then walked down the hall with two small dogs and a big German shepherd barking at him. 
he had no fear and kept walking. In the living room, he then bent down and started pulling at our Xbox. That's when the German Shepherd jumped into my sister's room. My dad found the guy walking around the block and stopped him. He warned the guy not to come back, and so far he hasn't. The worst part for me is I love sleeping on our couch in the living room. What if I had been asleep on that couch when he came in? What if our dog didn't get between B and my sister? I don't know what happened that day, honestly. Even though I have the details, it still doesn't make sense. This is true, and I'll share more stories in the future. This happened during the summer of 2008. For context, I am a gay male, and at the time I was in a relationship. We'll call my then-boyfriend Mark for privacy reasons. Mark was 35 and I was 30. It was July 4th weekend, and my boyfriend wanted to go camping, as he always has every 4th of July, usually going with his ex-wife and son who is 7 years old. However, since he is now out of the closet, he wants to take me with him. A little bit about me. I'm definitely not an outdoorsy kind of person. I don't like dirt, I don't like bugs or wild animals, and the thought of not having running water or a roof over my head absolutely terrifies me. Yes, I know, I'm spoiled rotten. As reluctant as I was, Mark persuaded me to go and reassured me that this would be a weekend to remember. Well, he didn't know how right he was. He told me we would be leaving Friday morning, which was the 4th and would come back Monday morning. As we both lived in San Jose, California, the nearest place to camp would be the Santa Cruz Mountains near Felton and Big Basin Boulder Creek vicinity. We were going off the map in a more secluded area to experience nature and less people. We headed out Friday morning around 7 a.m. if I remember. It was about a 45 minute to an hour drive. On the car ride there, Mark told me about these people that supposedly live in the mountains. At first thought, I thought he was just trying to scare me. I was thinking about wrong turn and the hills have eyes in my head. I told him that and he chuckled and said no, but there are some similarities. He explained in great detail that these people were uncivilized, not socialized, and unlike the rest of us in society, could possibly be extremely dangerous if we encountered one of them. They basically live like cavemen. He told me, even though he has never came across any of them, he knows they exist and have even been told by his brother that they do indeed exist. Having just heard this, I flipped and told him, it's a good thing you just sprung this on me now, because you and I both know I would not have come along with you knowing this information. He explained that he was just letting me know to try and not frighten me, but to inform me if anything should happen, we basically know why. He said, you can pretty much guarantee nothing will happen, though. Oh, really? I said. How can you possibly guarantee me that? I always come prepared, he said. If you don't believe me, then open my glove compartment, he said, pointing to the glove box. I did as he asked, and opened the glove compartment inside. I noticed a leather case. I pulled it out. What's this? Fearing what I already suspected it was. I opened it, and right before my eyes was a revolver. A gun. Basically, I don't know anything at all about guns. I really don't want to mess with it. All I know is that it was black in color. This is your guarantee, I suppose. Yes, you must have known on some sort of level 
that I wouldn't take us out into the middle of nowhere and not have us protected, he said. I guess maybe in the back of my mind, I thought, yeah, but seeing it now makes me very uncomfortable, I said. Then, also knowing that there is a slight chance of something happening for you to bring that gun out makes me a bit more scared than anything else, I said. He looked over at me and said I would not let anything ever happen to you. This weekend is for us to enjoy each other's company, and that's what it will be. You'll see, he said. He did a good job of reassuring me because I didn't think much about the gun again. We reached our destination not too long after that. All around me was just nature. Trees and trees, branches, rocks, and boulders everywhere you could barely see the sky from all the trees blocking out the sunlight. We'd begun to unload everything from his Toyota Sequoia. I was impressed by what he had brought. A two-bedroom tent, a king-size airbed, and a portable generator with three outlets to run power out of. Wow, I said, maybe this won't be so bad. He smirked that smirk I loved. Now that I think about it, I think it was more of an arrogant smirk. Well, my cell phone didn't really get any service out there, and basically it was useless, but I did use it as my mp3 player. Smartphones were just starting to make their way to availability, so I just had my Motorola Razor. I was already ready for an upgrade back then. Mark said, well, I need the power because I have to get some work done this weekend, as he pulled out his laptop from the back seat. What am I supposed to do while you're working? I said. Don't be like that. I saw the books and magazines you brought and you have your Nintendo DS, so you obviously had ways to occupy your time as well he said. He was right. I did bring things to entertain myself and was absolutely delighted that I could enjoy them longer with the help of portable electricity. Friday, Saturday, and Sunday were all uneventful. We took hikes, made campfires, took naps, relaxed, and barbecued. I did actually enjoy myself. That was until Saturday night. We were in bed, Mark was asleep, and I was reading R.L. Stein, Fear Street, Yes, I know. Cliché, but I love those books. I thought I heard something in the distance. Now, I was kind of used to the little noises of animals like chipmunks and squirrels running around through the leaves, but this sounded more distinct. Footsteps, not that of a four-legged animal. It sounded more human, like someone was trying to walk as quietly as possible without being detected. No, no. I thought... This was just my imagination from reading this book and I was freaking myself out. I set the book down and started to strain to hear more. Closer. Whatever it is, it's getting closer. A bear, maybe. I looked over to Mark who was sound asleep, contemplating what to do. The footsteps eventually reached the tent. Right above our heads was a zippered screen window that we had zipped closed at night because we didn't know if it would rain or not. Whatever was there was just outside, and it had stopped. I held my breath. All I could hear was my rapidly beating heartbeat. I heard someone else breathing. Not Mark. Whoever it was outside. I wanted to wake Mark up, but I knew if I did, he would wake up and make some kind of noise that would alert whoever was out there. That was when I heard a click. I know the sound. It's the same click when you open up a pocket knife. Oh my god. I thought this is it. This is where I'm going to perish. Damn you, Mark. I thought. I knew this was a bad idea. That's when I heard scraping, running across the tent. 
I knew what they were doing. They were running that knife all around the tent, taunting us. I knew this person had to know one of us were awake. Why else would they be doing that? The sound of the blade went all along the side of the tent and came back around to where we were, then started again. It was then I nudged Mark to wake up. Mark, I whispered. He started to groan, and then I said, Shh. I whispered, There's someone outside. I couldn't see his face or anything for that matter, because I had turned off the reading light. There's someone outside, I whispered. Look. I then saw a flashlight shining on the tent. Mark reached over the side of the bed, grabbed his case and pulled out the revolver. He yelled, Stop. Whoever the hell is out there, I have a gun and I will not hesitate to shoot you in the face. Leave now or regret it. The flashlight switched off and whoever it was started to walk away. Not even a speed walk, just casually walking away without any light. It was pitch black out there. Mark held onto the gun as I lay there in horror. Silence. Nothing. No sound at all. We didn't say a word. We were just listening for any kind of sound. Somehow, in all of that chaos, I must have fell asleep because I woke up to Mark shouting my name to come outside. I rubbed my eyes and looked at my watch. It was 6.15am and it was already light outside. I darted up and ran outside to see what he was yelling about. I ran to see him kneeling down by his tires. Slashed. I looked at the other ones and they were too slashed. The driver's side and passenger side window had been broken and shattered. What the hell? I shouted. What are we going to do now? Mark grabbed my hand and said we're going to walk back to the main highway as fast as we can before whoever did this comes back. My wallet! I cried. I need my wallet, my keys, and my phone. My phone was still in the tent, inside my bag. I rushed over to the tent and grabbed my messenger bag, realizing, oh wait, my wallet and keys are in the glove box. Ah, oh, crap, I said. I ran over to the glove box in the Toyota. Swung open the door to notice the glove box was torn open and everything was gone. I started to cry. Realizing that this situation is too much for me to deal with, my heart sank into my stomach and my knees got weak. I felt like I was going to faint. Mark, they have my driver's license, my house key, my money, my bank cards, I cried. Mark yelled so loud I heard his echo in the distance. Let's go now, he said. It's about a mile and a half to the highway. We're going to have to flag somebody down or find a call box since my phone is dead, he said. Don't say that word, please, I told him. Weak and scared, I started walking with him down the dirt road. Weak and scared, we started walking down the dirt road we drove just a couple of days prior. As we walked, I could sense that there was someone or something else near us. I had that feeling of being watched. Oh no, I thought. Please let us get out of here in one piece. Mark stopped. He put his finger to his lips and said, I know I don't think we're alone. I can hear leaves crunching. I think we're being followed. Just keep moving and know what I told you on the way here. I mean it. I'll do whatever I have to to protect us. I will not let anything happen to you. Thank goodness for that gun, I thought. But I wish we weren't in this predicament to begin with. Speed walking got me tired and thirsty. Then I could hear cars in the distance. We are almost there, I said. Yes, just a little bit more. Finally reaching the highway, I pulled out my phone and I had a signal. Not much battery, but just enough for us to call the police and Mark 
Mark called them. They were there in about five minutes. Two patrol cars arrived. Mark explained everything while I sat on the curb. I was questioned about the events and said all my identification cards were stolen, my house keys and car keys. The officer told me to cancel all those cards immediately and have my house locks changed ASAP. He also suggested to have my vehicle's locks changed as well. I didn't even know you could do that. Two more officers arrived, talking to Mark and helping us go back to the camp to get our stuff. I didn't really want to go back, but having the police with us felt somewhat safer. Mark had called his insurance and was expecting a tow truck there soon. When we arrived, three of the officers looked around, took pictures, and questioned us some more, and sealed off the area with yellow tape. It made it look like a crime scene, which I guess it was because a crime did take place there. The officers asked Mark and I if we had any idea who or why someone would do this. I said no, and furthermore, I didn't tell anyone besides my mother and best friend that I would be coming out here. Mark said he only told his ex-wife where he would be at the time who was home with her son. The officer explained to us that it was likely an isolated incident and it could have been someone who most likely didn't agree with our alternative lifestyle. Big surprise, I thought. But even this was extreme and I wasn't really buying that load of crap the officer was telling us. It seemed like he knew more than what he was telling us. So, what's going to happen now, I said. The officer told me, well, we have your information and report. We will investigate and we will search for fingerprints and other evidence. If and when we come up with any leads, we will let you know. You might have to testify against any culprits we apprehend. Until then, he said, get all your locks changed, cancel your credit cards, and let us know if you came up with any new information. Great, I thought. So, I guess that's it. About ten minutes later, the tow truck arrived, we gathered all of our belongings, and we got out of there. I was confused that nothing in the tent was stolen, not even Mark's laptop. Now, if I let my imagination run wild, I could think of other things that didn't make sense, but I didn't want to go down that path. On the way back to the city, I was in so much disbelief, I wanted to say to Mark I told you so, but he looked so hurt and confused, I couldn't do it. Plus, it sucked to be right. I mean, I really did want to enjoy myself this weekend, and it started out pretty good. I got home, canceled everything, and had my mom call the locksmith and change all the house locks. I made an appointment for my car to get the locks changed as well, and left it in the garage. I was still tense, just knowing someone had my address and keys. Even though they couldn't unlock my house door, that wouldn't stop them from breaking in. I don't think anything ever came of the situation, or if it did, Mark never informed me of it. We spoke about it and he was constantly checking in with the police department. He bought a new SUV, he didn't want any kind of reminder of that weekend, and I agree on that. We broke up a few months later for other reasons. I always wondered if he ever went camping again after that, or if he regretted that weekend. As for me, it's been about 12 years since that horrible weekend. I now live in a different state where people do camp a lot. Good for them. I haven't camped since then, and I don't think I ever will again. Thanks for listening to these creepy and allegedly true 4th of July horror stories. If you enjoyed these stories, please be sure to give this video a like as it helps me out a ton. The more likes this gets, the more YouTube promotes it in the algorithm, and that's incredibly helpful to the channel. If you're listening to this on iTunes or another podcast platform, please give this a 5-star rating 
as that's even more helpful to us. If you're new to the swamp, why not join us? Hit that subscribe button and turn on notifications to never miss a new video, as I upload them nearly every single day and all things natural and supernatural. I'm always looking for brand new stories to share here in the swamp. If you have a scary story that you would like to share in a future episode, be sure to submit it at swampdweller.net or the email you can find in the description down below. I'd love to share your story with everyone here in the swamp. It's stories like yours that truly help keep this show going on a daily basis. If you guys are on the run and don't have YouTube Premium, but still want to listen to your favorite Swamp Dweller scary stories no matter where you are, you can download them absolutely free from Spotify, iTunes, Stitcher Radio, and just about everywhere else you find your favorite podcast online. It's absolutely free and always will be. If you guys would like to support the channel outside of hitting that like button, subscribing, and maybe giving us a 5-star rating on iTunes, maybe check out the merch store. I've got t-shirts, hoodies, face masks, and everything else you could possibly need. I'd love to see you guys in some cool swamp threads. If you would let me know in the comments down below what story tonight was your favorite, I'd love to see it. Thank you guys so much for supporting the swamp the way you do. Don't forget to join me on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. And I'll see you guys soon with another creepy video.